Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's called Mad Sounds. One goes out to Mr. Alan Smile. Hello and welcome to the Mad Sounds podcast. My name is Will Sparks and as ever I'm joined by Matt Maynard. How are you, Matt? Not bad, mate, you know. Yeah, not much going on. A few bits and bobs here <laughs> in around the world. <laughs> quiet night in the library, right? Yeah, oh, quiet night in the library. Um, yeah, well enough about, you know, 25th Amendments. What about 35th Amendments? Alex Turner turned in 35. Hey, nice, nicely segued, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The old boy, 35. It's yeah, mental, it's mental sick. I, I know you're not too far off the old 35. And well, I mean, we'll define too far. <laughs> we're, in our, we're in our 30s. I'm still in my 20s, just to point that out. Well, as, as am I. But yeah, a while until we get to uh, to get to the grand yeah. old 35. He's achieved a fair bit um, for, for, a, for a lad who's 35, I must say. He has. And we, we sort of celebrated, didn't we? Well, you put out a little tweet um, asking people their favourite Alex Turner lyric. I and we had a few indeed. replies, didn't we? Yeah, we, yeah, well, we did have a few replies. We were get, getting a bit active on the social front now. With our, <laughs> uh, do appreciate like, whatever. We sound like we're in our 30s with comments like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the old socials are kicking yeah. off. Cool. The old, what they the old Twitter we signed up to. Yeah, got a few mentions on that. Tell you what. We had uh, KEHF, of, of course, of this parish with a couple of her favourites. And I, the one I want to pick out is Love Came in a Bottle with a Twist-Off Cap. Let's all have a swig and do a hot lap, which, <laughs> of course, is from uh, Star Treatment. Well, well, I can. I think I've heard her probably say that lyric in the podcast. So <laughs> I can just sort of hear it ringing in my ears with yeah. her voice. It's which, uh, yeah, you should check out, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Joanna, uh, Joanna. Uh, Joanna. Joanna has come up with a list of them. She's actually done a thread. So if you go onto her Twitter, which is at Joanna Edgerton, that's Joanna with a H, then you'll see all the ones she's put together. And one includes my favourite. She does what the night does to the day. Um, if you, she if you does what in, the night does to the day. You can't read them and not want to sing it all, can you? I know. I'm reading in like poetic form. And if you are just tuning in, you haven't come to the poetry podcast. We are. Of course, waxing lyrical over Alex Turner lyrics, and another one that I want to point out. That you know, what? I actually feel like I'm like Terry Wogan or something like that, and reading it out like or, <laughs> it's a shit episode of Partridge. And we go to Joanna from Manchester, who says they captured what seemed all unknowing and candid, but they suspected it was false. <laughs> and now for the weather. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give I'll give a rich uh, rich Rance a shout out as well. He put three down. I mean I can't read them all out, but I'll go with his first one. I feel like the Sundance Kid behind a synthesizer. That's one of my favourites. It's one of your favourites. I found well, it's off Sucky and see, so it's got to be uh, oh, it's got worth its weight. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, I'd love to keep talking about Alex Turner and his lyrics for the rest of the podcast, but uh, actually, there's more sort of serious things to get on with because you will you spoke to uh, the lovely people at Dice and uh, had a very interesting chat about the state of the music industry, didn't you? 
indeed spoke to uh, Matt, uh, Morgan, should I say, Morgan and Pat, um, who you'll just hear in a, in a couple of minutes' time, about about nightlife, about what the club scene's going to look like after the pandemic, what live music's going to look like, if streaming is still going to be a thing. Um, all first of all say really really interesting from both of them just to see what the landscape is going to look like when we hopefully return to some sort of normality uh they mentioned that the vaccine uh rollout being introduced is massive and it's sort of the certainty that the industry has been looking for but on the flip side that streaming has really taken off people are taken to it really well and yeah. uh, not every person in the world wants to go to a gig some people do actually like watching this stuff um from their sofa and i don't i don't mean to say that in the in the way that oh my god how can you enjoy it from their sofa but in the sense that they discovered a new sort of demographic of people who who really like yeah. their music and, and live that way well we will come to that um after we've we've all listened to the interview so uh, well, yeah without further ado here is will's chat with dice patrick morgan welcome how are you i'm good man thanks for having us yeah, no worries. All, all good. It's like very, very dark right now here in uh, in the UK. Morgan's in New York, though, where it's a little bit brighter by the looks of things. Yep, it is. Uh, thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, I, I guess we'll start on, uh, as like you say, it's dark in the UK. We'll start on the dark topic of, of when the pandemic started. And um, with live events being the first to cease and looking like the last to resume, um, who knows when will that that will be? We'll come on to that later in the episode. Um, Patrick, just just take us through your your thought process um, at when the news hit that we would be going into lockdown with no idea of when we're going to return, and how immediately Dice had to react to that. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I guess it didn't feel that immediate, rightly or wrongly. <laughs> you know, we went into lockdown, and I think, I mean, definitely me personally, I was like. Oh well, you know, three weeks of this. I have a healthy few weeks and like yeah. get on, get some project work done, and and then we'll be kicking back on. And then you know, as it sort of went on and on, it was like, oh shit, like this is gonna last a long, long time. Yeah. And I guess really for us, it was we had to take stock, obviously, and and you know, internally all sort of body up and team together and just offer each other support. I guess and it was like the first thing, and then. I think it was a lot of our partners, like globally, really started to to chat to us about running streamed events. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to come on the on the podcast today and be like, yeah, we we're always planning to do streamed events anyway. Like, <laughs> it wasn't really a fan of ours. And if I'm totally honest, I don't know if we were fully convinced of, of you know whether it would be our to able to reach fans in the way that live music does and, and you know, creates that incredible interaction and that, you know, you can't replicate it. What, what was the name of that festival? Was it Room Service? Was that yeah. one of the first ones we did? Absolutely. That was a big moment for us. Um, as I'm sure you experienced well, like the there was different stages to the live stream wave happening through quarantine. And for us, the first big wave was really around charity events and around fundraisers that were really focused on financial relief, whether it be for venues, for artists, for just anybody in the industry that was impacted by COVID and also outside of the industry. So you're seeing a lot of fundraising events for healthcare workers. You're yeah. seeing a lot of fundraisers in those first few weeks. Um, so we weren't thinking about, a, a. I mean, nobody that we were working with was thinking about a model that was necessarily commercial. It was more about uh, driving RSVPs. Nobody really knew what was happening or how long it would take. So we're just canceling hundreds, if not thousands of events and processing refunds and supporting our partners 
And then all of a sudden in the US, the first few opportunities that came to us where, you know, the numbers were going back up was room service um, and digital mirage. And those were just massive online festivals with, you know, huge lineups that were really geared towards fundraising for these causes. Um, and where we came in is being able to raise money before the event. So a lot of the fundraising events were kind of doing stuff during the live stream. Yeah. And not a lot of them were necessarily collecting funds beforehand, not to mention emails to then keep talking to the fans, keep engaging them in different ways and kind of build off whatever efforts they were doing. And then I would say our first big show um, was the opportunity we had with Lewis Capaldi. Which yeah, we probably, so I'd say end of March, started to see the first few streams on Dice. And then throughout April, honestly, man, it was it was an exciting time. We were like, I've been at Dice um five and a half years now and, and in the early days like when we were building the product and, and just building and trying to build right relationships and work with new promoters and new new venues um there was just a lot of hustling required and it kind of felt a little bit like that again man like chatting to people we've never reached out to chatting to a different sector of the industry and in, in like digital producers and um, directors and, and anyone really that was just trying to innovate and, and reach a new audience in that space so it was a lot of like chatting and we were chatting a lot with with agents um who are obviously like a loss like everyone like what what do we do we normally book live shows and yeah lewis lewis capaldi's team they were one of the first to go for it he'd obviously had a, a crazy year like partly like you know just an incredible personality but the the success and the streaming numbers were were pretty astronomical um yeah. And it was getting to a point, I think it was a, the one year anniversary of, of his debut album um, coming out. And they were like, look, normally we'd probably do like an intimate showcase in London or, or in Glasgow, where it's from or, or something like that. But they couldn't do that, obviously. So it was like, how do we how do we mark and make a real sort of thing of this moment? Um, and, and we were like, why don't we try a stream? Um, I, I wasn't working totally directly on it with him, but we got it set up um, and it went incredibly well. And I think... The, the thing for us was like looking at all the tweets and the social media posts that were, were pouring in off the back of the show and just being like, oh, wow, like this is having a real connection. Like yeah. there was families at home because it was still in that period where, you know, it was very locked down, yeah. like making cocktails for themselves and like having a having a night out. And we were like, I, I think, yeah, like like Morgan was touching on, there was a couple of big virtual festivals for charity that were real like oh, this is a thing. Like streaming is a real thing. And then the Lewis Capaldi show really further cemented that. That's great to hear. Um, and when you when you started the stream, obviously you said during April because it was you know in your words very lockdowny. People were you know so there's a bit more freedom now, but and, and there are a few socially distant shows floating about, but obviously not as many as, as we'd like or full scale gigs. Did, you said you weren't necessarily convinced at the start. What? Why do you think that was? Because just from my point of view, when I saw that streams are going up and there were loads, loads of artists that I actually really like doing stream gigs, I, I couldn't convince myself. Um, and I tried and I tried. And I think the first one that I that I ended up watching, um, Tom Grennan did the Melody XR one at Brixton Academy. And I wanted to see it because this they obviously had this technology where you can feel like you're at Brixton. And I thought, okay, this this is a bit of me. I have to go for this. And I watched it and it, it was it was amazing. I, it, it got me straight away. But but did you think it was going to take off? And did you have a lot of reservations when you started, you know, talking to these agents and booking these shows in? I think like once we started to see the numbers um, of fans that are engaging with these shows and, and 
I think like Morgan was saying, like when we started to see how much money we were raising for charity, like straight away, we were like, wow, this is so incredible. Yeah. It's having a positive effect for our partners in the sense of they're building a database that they can use later down the line when, when events return. But also, you know, we're raising incredible money to help, to help um, get people through this, this really difficult time. Um, but yeah, I think, I think kind of like what you were saying, where we all had these sort of moments watching a stream and going, oh shit, this is something that I can really, really engage with and, 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 and having that realization moment and we all kind of collectively had it. And then we built out a bigger team at Dice and, and yeah, it just sort of started rolling from there. I don't know if you have anything to, to add to it, Morgan. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I think there's two ways that we've experienced it, Pat and I, one as a company and then one individually, um, as a company, it probably took a little bit more time than it did for us as individuals, but I will say Dice is very nimble and, and quick to, to move and pivot. So, you know, obviously there's a difference between, Hey, I have a feeling this is going to be significant and let's get the whole company working on this and making it a priority. Um, you have to be more than convinced. You have to test things. You have to get firsthand information from artists, from agents, from promoters. So we were really encouraged with the first sightings of successful events and Louis Capaldi was a step in the right direction and, and Laura Marling was probably still the biggest cornerstone for us in terms of seeing an indie artist doing really significant numbers and just producing a beautiful show where it felt like wow this is worth the money and this is something that can scale um so as a company we move quickly but it still took several weeks for us to actually see the data firsthand and go okay this is this is really happening and we need to dive into it um for me as an individual I've always believed in live streaming. I worked at Boiler Room as program director for many years in the US. So I've seen the impact a DJ set on Boiler Room does for a DJ's career. And I've seen, you know, I've been part of conversations where the consideration was, should we start charging for these? Because everything at Boiler Room and everything streaming really, when it came to the music industry, whether it was indie or commercial, was somewhat free. Um, the pay-per-view model hadn't existed. And I was for years trying to see who's going to break the pay-per-view model. And there have been cases before COVID, like Dead and Company is a good example. Um, the Grateful Dead's like new iteration. The yeah. Grateful Dead, you know, they have this loyal fan base. They've been doing shows online for a while and doing crazy numbers because they have a cult following. And, you know, I'm passionate about gaming also. So I'm seeing what's happening on Twitch and I'm like, wow, like, can this happen in the music industry? Um, so individually, uh, just speaking for myself, like I was ready to, to really dive in and I was probably more gun ho than most within dice. Um, and then as a collective, as a company, we, we move quickly. Um, but it took a couple of weeks for, for us all, Pat, myself, and the rest of the music team to go out and speak to the industry, get a temperature and really, um, be able to evaluate, like, how real is this going to be? Mm -hmm. And it was interesting for us because we became champions of this model especially after seeing Laura Marling and after seeing the pay-per-view stuff work, because we saw it as a way for the music industry to bring in money when yeah. there seemed to be no revenue sources whatsoever. Yeah. So, you know, part of it was us kind of gathering intelligence, but also being the champions of this new model and, and, you know, being the change, like encouraging people, not just sitting back and saying, seeing who's going to do it, but actively going and trying to convince people so that, if we could have a role in jumpstarting this and it works, then we could be a part of this really significant revenue stream actually being a reality for the industry. 
Sure. I mean, you mentioned there about loyal fan bases as well. I, I mean, is paying for a live stream really any different to buying a T-shirt or a collector or a seven-inch single? I mean, it, I mean, I guess it isn't really. I mean, you're, you're paying for a service, whether it's to listen or wear your band's T-shirt. I mean, and it's not like the live streams are priced extortionately or anything. I think musicians understand that people are in a we're in a pandemic and people's incomes are taking a hit but i think i think there is that understanding between fans uh, like you say especially cult followings that there's a such a black hole of cash at the moment because live isn't happening as we know it and they're more than happy to supplement artists that they love and they're more than happy to pay whatever it is five pound ten pound to go and see a live stream um i guess the pertinent question that i wanted to ask you two is that when we do get back to some sort of normality, and obviously no one wants to tempt fate and pin a date on that at the moment, do you think streaming just becomes something of the past? We all go back to venues, we start buying tickets, we start going down Brixton, Kentish Town, um, many other gig venues, and we just go back to normal? Or like you were saying, Morgan, you are a big fan of the pay-per-view model before COVID struck. Do you think it's actually going to stay and people will just have the best of both worlds if they don't want to go out of their home? Yeah, I believe that it's going to be somewhere in between. And it's really hard for us to predict because there's so many different things to consider, like licensing. You know, can venues live stream any artist's show? And how does the licensing work for that? And what player are they using? Uh, what are these long-term solutions? And we're building them. We're, we're part of, of figuring out what that's going to look like. Um, I would say, I don't want to use the word cynical, but um, I'm a little bit, um, I'm curious to see how it's going to work the dynamic between live and live stream i think it's it's going to be a reality and we're going to be invested in it but it's going to be interesting to see the economics of is a live stream ticket available after a show sells out um can a venue consistently over the course of a month sell live stream tickets to several shows or is it something where only when it's a crazy sold out show and you know it's going to be a moment then is it worth investing in live stream um and we're seeing already um, venues like Night Tales and, and there's places in the U.S. where the hybrid model is getting tested. And, you know, it's 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 more or less successful in terms of it works and there's an offering there. We're going to rush back to, to seeing shows for real and nothing's going to replace that. But live stream is going to be an amazing option for a, a show that, let's say, is happening in London. I live in New York and I'm not going to get to see it. Um, but it's an artist I love and it seems like it's an iconic venue and it's a show that I would, you know, not have a chance to see in person. I'm snagging a ticket for that. Yeah, um, that's what I wanted to ask you. So there's, there's a band you love, big indie band playing Kentish Town, two, two and a half thousand cap maximum. You don't get a ticket. Suddenly, if you open Dice or another ticketing platform, obviously we use Dice in this instance, there's nothing left in the terms of general admission, but you can watch it for five pound. Mm-hmm. between Morgan and Pat between you what if you could predict do you think there would be serious uptake for that and if licensing was approved surely it would be a massive boost for revenue because all those people who've missed out on a ticket and have just given up the hope of getting a ticket will surely pay some a smallest fee as that just to watch it on their telly with a few beers on the sofa mate I, I really believe that that's going to be where we get to yeah. um like like Morgan says it's, it's fascinating to see where the economics go because it's you know we're going into a totally new territory but like i think one of the the key learnings and one of the most amazing things um that we've seen in this whole landscape is so we work with um a dance duo called bicep um we've always worked with them we've pretty much sold all of their tickets um for touring in the uk and like they listed this stream with us um 
and we kind of dug into the data afterwards it went really well and and, and they did an incredible job and they launched all their new record as part of it um but what we found was that one third of people that purchased for that stream um had never seen bicep live um and and that's the other thing that we have to bear in mind i mean the three of us on the call today we love going to gigs um this is a really difficult time for us because we can't go out on the lash and like enjoy you know and experiencing live music but but people other people are very different um we've i've had a lot of conversations with, with friends that are maybe more introverted or maybe you know live in a city that isn't london or manchester or birmingham or, or wherever and live um you know it's a real commitment to have to go to a live show um and i think you're actually you're opening these live shows up to them um and that can only be a really really good thing um and and i think where where I kind of see it and where we really hope it's going is like, it's kind of like football. You know, in the early 90s, and I, with this, excuse the long story here, but in the early 90s when um, Sky came in, and I'm sure it was a very similar thing when, when ESPN started in the States, but like when Sky first brought out the rights, all the Premier League clubs, you know, the governing bodies were like, no, 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 this is such a bad idea. Like, soon as everyone could just watch it on their armchair, why on earth would they go and watch football in a stadium? In, you know, we've all seen what's happened. The absolute opposite. Um, Sky has essentially marketed, um, you know, crowds and, and marketed football to more people. And suddenly, you know, you're never going to watch Man U Man City on Saturday and go, oh, I wouldn't want to go there. Like, that looks rubbish. I'd rather just stay in my armchair. You're, you're always going to want to go. And I think that's that's kind of where we we see eventually this whole thing going is, you know, you might have a big band that's doing an album release show and, and, and having both sort of sides of the coin. And I think artists are going to tour very differently in the future um, and, and streaming will be a big part of that. That's, that's, I wanted to ask you about the touring thing as well, because that say say it is March or April before any sort of normality resumes. I mean, at the very earliest. I mean, bands have essentially had a year off. I mean, not not a year off, as the phrase would go, but a year off touring. But they're still releasing. They've still got stuff to play. Do you think we're going to enter an age now where artists will have to cram everything into their calendar, especially the ones signed to big labels with commitments to touring and doing a ticket and album bundle? Do you think we're going to just be faced as punters with a gig a week? Do you think it's going to be everywhere and everywhere or like you're saying pat just said you think it's going to just move to a bit of a different type of calendar and, and make these these shows more gold dust and maybe because people will be a bit more apprehensive of, of coming out if if covid is still present in some cases i think my um feeling is maybe the bigger artists will sort of tour a little bit less or or some of them will um because you know this there's, there's you know if you think of an incredible pop artist like Robin, for instance, and she's had, has got like a, you know, expensive show and each show is a real moment. Um, and she's spending sort of hours, you know, weeks and months crafting records in the studio. She's not going to want to play and do like a 115 day tour. Like yeah. it's going to be very sort of thought through. And I think that's where streaming ties in. But I think what will happen is, and it's going to be a great thing because we've got a really chocker calendar now because you've got a load of people, like you're saying, that are on cycle that have kind of missed the boat and feel they're going to have to go and tour for, for that reason. But I think for the local markets, it's going to be really exciting, um, particularly in the next 18 months when international travel is not quite back to where it will be. Um, locally, there's you know there's so much more room for bands and, and they deserve it, man, because it's hard to break at the moment. Um, so really excited to see 
yeah, more local club nights, local DJs, local bands, artists, rappers, who, whoever it may be. Um, I think they're going to have a big moment over the next 18 months. That's, that's a brilliant segue, actually, because that was that was my next question. I just wanted to, um, uh, obviously, when, since we've been doing this podcast, we set this podcast up because in the absence of our club nights, we run um, what's called London's Proper Indie Night across two venues in East London. We run one at the Victoria in Dalston and we won, uh, run uh, one at the Old Blue Last in Shoreditch. And we've been doing it for about a year and it was going really well. You know, ticket sales were doing well, but we thought, well, we we can't go out and run the club night. We 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 might as well set up a podcast to talk about the music we love and 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 get guys on like you to to sort of give uh, give your side of the coin. I, I want to ask you and maybe give a definitive answer on this. Say there's an announcement from the government tomorrow, the whole country is allowed back out on X date. Do you th- from what I've seen and just this and you can sort of gauge this from pubs. You can gauge it from the attitudes on social media, just people moaning about being inside this generation or this age group that goes out you know whether it be 22 to 35 whatever however you want to bracket it haven't been able to have that freedom for a year maybe or maybe even longer i'm of the view that i think local events and the more local scene will absolutely explode and i think there's massive appetite to just get back out there a year's been lost of going out and do you guys do you guys share that and and surely you have the the narrative and the data to back that up yeah, I mean, um, I don't think there's going to be kind of a magical day where everybody's going to, um, you know, flood the streets. Yeah, it's a bit fairy. Uh, I wish there was. <laughs> uh, we we were yeah, we were kind of hoping for that moment for a while when we were really early on and we're like, oh, this might you know be last for a month, and then you know in May we're just going to rage. Um, we know that just as you know, we had a gradual kind of shutdown where the biggest events went first and then the smaller gatherings went last, we're going to have a similar comeback. It's going to be probably, probably slower over a larger period of time where, um, you know, there's going to be limited capacity stuff and the large festivals are probably going to be last, but absolutely. I mean, um, the industry has been waiting for good vaccine news, which came like, you know, this month or last month, just a few weeks ago. And that is incredibly encouraging to the point where we can actually create a timeline and say, okay, by May or June, we could probably have larger gatherings and shows are going to come back on. Um, all the venues I'm speaking to in the U S are booked up from May all the way to November, December, 2021, wow. sometimes beyond um, the venues that are still alive. The big thing is how long are these venues going to stay alive? And then how many venues are we going to have for how many people want to go out? Um, so that's, you know, that's going to be an interesting one because the demand is going to be really high, but a lot of venues might shut down. Um, what, how, what is that going to look like? Are there going to be a new wave of venues that are going to come and it's going to be an even playing field yeah. or are the biggest players like Live Nation and AG going to consolidate their monopolies and be the only places that survive COVID? Um, it's going to be somewhere in between if I, if I can predict. And I'm hopeful that there is going to be a second wave of indie venues that are going to open up after COVID because there's just going to be so much demand. Once we can go back up again, um, it's just like people have been holding out weddings and all of a sudden summer 2021 is going to be overbooked. The same thing is going to happen with shows. You know, we've all been holding out. Um, the question remains like who gets the tour first if nobody's been on the road for a year and a half? Um, how are we managing these schedules? And, you know, that's the agents and managers and venues. We're a part of that conversation in as much as we work with venues and promoters and we're seeing them book stuff out in advance. Um so I feel to answer your question that there's going to be a massive comeback and the industry is going to boom again, 
but there's so many unknowns. So, you know, we'll just have to keep our eyes peeled. Would you say would you say the venue question is the biggest unknown? Because like you just said, I mean, I mean Pat, just, just from a local point of view, take Old Street on the stretch down to down to Shoreditch High Street where you have so many venues in a small yeah. um small space. Um, say three or four shut down within that radius. I mean, obviously that's very sad for them, but it would play into the hands of the other venues that have managed to stay afloat. Surely, surely that would would just bottleneck people into the venues that are still open, and therefore they're just going to be buying. The, the, these this, the people are still out there that want to go out. They haven't disappeared, and they'll just be, you know, be buying tickets for the for venues that are are managing to stay afloat. Um, do, do you think there'll be a bottleneck effect? Uh, and because, and like like you say, more, I really hope there is a comeback, and I, and I fully believe there will. I I don't think it's even hope on on my side. And from what you guys are saying, it doesn't sound like hope. I mean, it's a, it's a good solid foundation to to say it's going to explode when we all get back, and that's right from your indie night that holds one hundred people right to to your Brixtons and your Kentish towns, etc. Um, but is is that the biggest unknown or the worry is can the venue stay open can they stay afloat and if and if they do close down it, it's not like you can just erect a venue in a few days or or a few weeks you know it takes time to to build their name and and, and for you to become partners with them of course i think like it, you know we need all the help we can get from the government of course <laughs> um and we need and and they need the the guidance to be there and and they probably need like a timeline i know people have been asking it for a while and you know the vaccine is in play and, and all that sort of stuff um but it's it's it, i think if the support's there I'm re- we're really hoping like particularly with all the venues that we've worked with um we've been really trying to guide them in, in what we can do and you know pushing like i said earlier like particularly in at the start of this like what grants can we help them get all that sort of side of things and i, and I think the government are going to have a really keen eye on because it's kind of in their interest like they're, they're going to want people to spend money um, yes. because no one's really been spending money um so I, i'm feeling pretty positive if i'm honest with you it's been it's 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 tough like it's really really tough and it's tough for so many industries but particularly the one that, that we're all in and around but i think um that like there is a lot of goodwill out there and, and fingers crossed like it's just a case of supporting one another because yeah, we, we, we want as many of those, you know, I want to be walking down Old Street, Shoreditch High Street and just seeing it like popping and people just spilling out. Um, <laughs> that's kind of what I want to see. Um, so, so fingers crossed, man. It's hard to say though, of course. Yeah, if I can add something, you know, on a positive note, um, one of our biggest partners is Primavera Festival. Um, one of the biggest, if not the biggest independent mm-hmm. festival in Europe. And they went on sale with their you know, they had the 2020 lineup, they went on sale with 2021, which is a similar lineup, but basically just skipped a year. And um, they sold out of passes in a day. So the demand is there. That was incredibly encouraging for us um, to see that like people, as soon as it's safe, they will come back. And, you know, I feel like, Will, your your weekly, like your regular night, the next one you do that is safe will probably be the biggest one you guys have ever had. Um, I'm a promoter myself. I've, I was doing parties on a monthly basis and I know just from my friends asking me and from, you know, just fans coming to us, we know that the next one we do safely, if we've had three or 400 people before, this one will either have to be bigger or the three, 400 people will fill up in like, you know, just a few minutes. Like we know the first party we do when we get back will be the biggest one. And hopefully it stays that way. The key is also just for people to feel safe. Like we've been antisocial, we've been isolated for a while. 
you know, I watch movies and when I see a large crowd in a movie, I feel uneasy. Yeah. So how yeah. am I going to feel walking into my party with 300 people there? At which point in the, the, the COVID timeline that we're all following, are we actually going to feel socially safe? That remains a question mark, but I'm hopeful that um, we'll get back into it faster than some people expect. Um, guys, thanks so much for your time. Um, and it's been really nice talking to you. And um, last of all, I just guess thank you for all the work you're doing because um, it must be so hard to stay afloat and devise new ideas in, a, in an environment like this. So thanks so much for talking to us. Thanks for having us. Some fascinating insight there, Will, from from the boys from Dice. I've got I've got a list of almost questions for you because yeah, there was lots of things that sort of um, piqued my interest when I was listening. The first yeah. thing I think we should talk about is pay per view gigs. Like, do you think that they really will take off? I mean, I do as well, and I can't believe that we've not had them before. I can't believe people haven't been able to watch gigs from their television set or wherever if they couldn't go imagine if like your favorite band it's not even about not being able to go to a gig i think that you can't get tickets for it's also the fact that you might want to watch your favorite band 1700 times anyway if they're playing in brazil yeah you might want to watch it absolutely i don't really know why we've not had it before you'd think there might be some sort of licensing hurdle that they have to i assume there. so yeah but but i mean we watch glastonbury we watch reading you know yeah, Brands, yeah. all of the all this stuff is on telly although it's not for one act per se if they could get over the hurdle of maybe licensing or maybe there's a legal um requirement from from the label or from the management company to say that you know no one can watch it but the person who's going to the gig but maybe this is the catalyst that we needed to, to change that because we're i think we were chatting earlier you know say arctic monkeys are playing a really intimate venue in brazil or they're playing in in hong kong or something like that that i want to watch that i'll happily sit yeah. down and, and watch it on my telly and, and that's not going to affect their ticket numbers it's a, no. it's a bit like we see these similar things with football and 3 p.m kickoff rule and they always thought that they would detract from um crowds but if it, at least at the very start of this debate you go well you can watch gigs abroad because yeah, absolutely going to take the ticket um, fees what would you pay out of interest um i mean you, you mentioned in the pod like a you know, a, a five pound fee, and I remember thinking, I, I think you'll be lucky if they charge you a fiver I for this kind of thing. I, I don't know because you have you have sporting events pay per view. So if you want to, when when Titan Fury fights Anthony Joshua, it's probably going to be twenty five or thirty quid. You imagine, possibly even more. People will pay more to see that fight. Uh, and when it was trialed with football, it was fourteen pounds ninety five yeah. per game, which which fans quickly rallied around and said was way too expensive. Way too much. With gigs, I don't know. You have to take the the sort of um, the economy of live music in and say, well, what's a football ticket? What's a, a good football ticket in London? And what's a good gig ticket? Probably not loads between the two. Um, the, I would go into your question. I'd probably pay. I mean, I would say ten pounds might be yeah. fair. Um, but and with, with the respects that obviously a lot of these artists are going to need cash support, maybe not some of the bigger ones, but they're actually going to need, and hopefully they get a bit of this money as well. But if there if there was a live stream on tomorrow and say, uh, let's pluck a band out the air, Fontaines were playing. I mean, if it's tomorrow, I think everyone's paying. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> we're all starved of it. If it's but yeah, take your point. If it's at any yeah, point, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm all gigged out for the month. Don't want to go to any more. I've not got any money left. But I've got a tenner line. Yeah, Fontaines. Watch them on my telly at Brixton. Yeah, why not? Absolutely. I have a few mates round. Have a little Friday night round. You, you know, a absolutely, absolutely. I think, and I think this, this, uh, 
this pandemic has been a really good trial for testing out some of those. I mean, I know the Liam Gallagher stream um, did really well, the one he did on the Thames, and uh, there was a Tom Grennan one at Brixton, the Fontaines did Brixton as well. And they mentioned Tom, uh, Lewis Capaldi, right? That was yes, Lewis Capaldi, who was, um, who was, uh, who they mentioned, yeah, said they did really well. But um, I mean, the, the the boys were just saying there how much potential they think it's going to got going to going to have, and they, maybe the market lies somewhere in between where some of them are streamed and uh, where you get great uptake who people want to go to the gig people just want to watch on their on their phone or their tablet or their telly which is fair as well yeah i mean the only i mean they kind of covered this as well like would it would it mean that artists want to play less as well because that you know people can watch it from home it maybe it would mean shorter tour schedules um who knows but then maybe that's not a bad thing these these artists do sound like they uh then that is the worst part of the tour having to travel around for so long and do so yeah. many days it's 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 weird because I well, on a pod that we did quite a few months ago with John Dawkins, he yeah. was saying that as a manager, when you're booking live, it's it's very easy to just put them, uh, you know, put a gig on every few months, but then you end up giving people too much. You want to you do sort of want to drip feed, especially if you've got a big app with an album coming out. You want to do the album tour and not really elaborate much on that apart from festivals. So it, it'd be interesting. I mean. It, I, I think there's going to be a bit of a balance. I don't really have an answer on this, but loads of bands, there's a big black hole of cash, which bands are missing out on, or they've missed out from last year. But, but there's also an opportunity to, to market your market your live performance to more people. So I, I don't really know where it's going to go, but most of all, I just hope it's something that's possible and that, um, that live and management and artists can come to an agreement on. Um, and there was one other thing uh, that I've, you mentioned at the start of the podcast as well about it being great uh, for introverts, which they said in the interview there. And that is a, that is something to consider as well. These people that probably wouldn't even necessarily go to that many gigs and yeah. now would have the opportunity to watch loads of live gigs, which is which is great, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and it, it gives you the opportunity to watch gigs that you're not even able to make, like you just said, in, in different countries. When... Mm. Um, when when not when an Arctic Monkeys or 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 someone like that are on a world tour, you think about how many dates they do. They can end up doing well over a hundred, hundred and fifty dates if they're yeah. on a sort of two year album tour. And I want to see the Brazils. I want to see the Milan's. I want to see them tour in the US where their fan base is you know massively expanded, and they'll be playing the bigger venues over there. I, I really really want to see that. And it's only you get the odd one on YouTube, don't you? But a it's not live, and b um, some of it is always like handheld footage as well. Yeah, it makes me even more jealous. So <laughs> I really hope it's something that can take off. And it's great that Dice, it seems to me that they're leading the way. They're trying to be progressive in this. So, you know, fair play to that, them as a company, really. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, we're, our, um, our night um, is partnered with Dice. Yeah. Which led to the conversation having them on the podcast. Um, I mean, they Maybe we could do a live stream of uh, Mad Sounds. <laughs> you imagine yeah everyone queuing up to go to an indie night upstairs in a pub in their <laughs> living room just giving it on the sofa with a can of Stella that's what that's where we aspire to well I mean he did say he worked for Boiler Room didn't he which is kind of a bit like that anyway um, yeah. I guess the thing with Boiler Room though it wasn't pay-per-view you could just watch it for free but yeah yeah um, uh, in, yeah g interesting stuff 
Uh, remember, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at the Mad Sounds Pod. You can also follow us on Spotify. If you click the follow button, the latest pod will come through to your phone, as well as the Apple Podcast app as well. You just need to click subscribe on that one. And we do have a car supporter. The links in the bio where you can donate a pound, five pound, ten pound, however much you want. If you enjoy listening to the pod, which we thoroughly hope you do. But until then, we have another podcast coming out next week. And if we don't see you then, we will see you through the window. <laughs> we'll see you through the window. Uh, have you not heard that before? It's a Scottish that... It's Scottish. Oh, it's who? It's Scottish. It's a Scottish phrase. Oh, it's... oh I'll fine. I'll do that again. Hang on. No, I mean, I... you can keep, you can do it again if you want. No, I just thought no one will get it. It's a really like village Scottish phrase.